0: Good morning. Uh, Isaiah four forty twenty one 21 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows upon them and they wither, the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name. He who is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, or speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Second reading is from Mark 1, 29-39. Jesus heals many at Simon's house. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the houses of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about it once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, but would not let the, permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up, went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he answered, Let us go on to the neighboring town, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came to do. And he went through Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thank you, Bill, for your reading of that. He does something there that I can never do when I read Isaiah 40. Um, he read it straight, because every time I read that first uh, that verse 21, I just hear total exasperation. Have you not figured it out yet, folks? Um, have you not heard? Um, so thank you, Bill, for offering that gracious gift to us that I fail to offer every time I read it. <laughs> Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Creator God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. And though I may fumble and my words may come out wrong, I pray that you find a way to use them anyways, that they may lift up your people, And show us where you are in our lives, in our hearts, and in our history. You have given us this great strength, O Lord, to persevere. Teach us, in your wisdom, how to use it. Amen. This week... Our sermon series called Becoming the People of God finally comes to a close. In this series from the United Methodist Board of Discipleship, we have taken the past five weeks, this one will make the sixth, coming to terms with what it takes to become the people of God in our lives. And through the weeks, what we have discovered is that it comes down to a posture of honor in all that we do. And for the folks who missed the first five weeks, or some of those in the five weeks, that's okay. I'm going to go over it for you so you don't forget what we've learned. In the first week of the year, when we were celebrating Epiphany Sunday, we learned to honor the diverse world around us and to root ourselves in the truth of God's kingdom, the law of love. In the second week... We met remotely because it was too cold to leave the house, and we remembered to honor our place as constant learners in the kingdom, and how we are called to approach our faith with a beginner's mind every time. Then we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and we were reminded to honor the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and perhaps our greatest calling, to listen Two weeks ago, the story of Jonah reminded us to honor the character of God by being willing to change course towards the kingdom of God and change our minds to align with Christ's. And last week, we learned about honoring the authority of Christ by transforming our lives from the inside out. Last week... We learned that lesson, and this week we are going to learn perhaps our greatest and most prevalent lesson along this journey of faith, honoring the waiting game. I think we have probably all at some point in our lives heard the phrase, hurry up and wait. Or if you were a particularly antsy child like I was myself, you probably heard this tried and true classic, Patience is a virtue, young lady. Um, <clears throat> heard that quite a bit. And I think all of us in the room have probably had our patience tested and our strengths seasoned by whatever life has to throw at us. And I know I've had my fair share of occasions to have my endurance established as it were. But there was a time where I probably, with a little too much confidence, would have told you that I was pretty good at waiting. Uh, My first daughter, Addie, has taught me a lot about waiting in the most practical of ways. Um, As you might know, Addie lives with her stepdad and her mom and her little sister in California, and she spends the holidays and summers with us. And there were quite a few years in there where my schedule was the flexible one. And so the transport of Addie to and from California fell to me. Now, I spent full days, like 4 a.m. to 10 p.m., and sometimes multiple days, just waiting for flights from one place to another, transporting her back and forth. And I found that after a few trips, I got to a point where I almost enjoyed that time in the airport to just reflect, people watch, if you know, you know, uh, read, or just be somewhere where I couldn't do or be anything else. But it was my second daughter and my firstborn uh, that really put that patience to the test before she was even born. Uh, June really wanted to put me through those patience paces. Her due date, was June 23rd. As you may know, her birthday is in July. (laughs) And all the way up until that due date, she looked like she was going to be a right-on-time kind of kid. Throughout my pregnancy, doctors and nurses kept encouraging me to prepare for her to come early for a variety of different reasons, from positioning, to weight, to the way I was carrying, to whatever other indicators you might find. But they kept telling me, She's going to be here on time, if not weeks early. My folks showed up two weeks early to ensure that we'd have the help that we needed and ended up staying a lot longer than that. (laughs) But this girl got to her due date and sailed right past it without even a hint of a contraction, just right through it, and I spent so much time leading up to that date preparing that by the time the day arrived, I was kind of at a loss for anything to do. (laughs) The changing table, prepared. The bassinet, ready to go. The house, too clean. I have never experienced that before in my life, but I had because I had so much time on my hands. (laughs) I mean, I was walking the dog with such regularity that even Cora May thought there was something wrong with me. (sighs) And I was left to wait for days and days until she decided to arrive. But what gave me a bit of comfort in all that time waiting with very little to do uh, was the knowledge that the people of God are supposed to be seasoned experts at waiting. I would go so far as to say maybe even professionals. There's a lot of character traits that get ascribed to God in our scriptures. But if one has to go to the people of God, if one character trait can be applied, I think that it's darn tootin' they're good at waitin'. And I mean, just think about it. Like, walk through some of these uh, stories with me. Noah, sitting on the ark, waiting for 40 days for the rain to stop. Abraham and Sarah waiting until their 90s before their son arrives to have their generations on generations that God promised them. The Israelites, waiting for generations in slavery, for liberation from their God, only to be followed almost immediately by wandering in the desert for 40 years, waiting for a promised land, waiting for is the name of the game for the people of God. And this is exactly what our scripture is shouting at us today. Those words from Isaiah, even, they come to us from smack dab in the middle of the Babylonian exile where the people of God are waiting. Waiting. They are waiting to see God's hand in any little bit of the atrocities that they have suffered at the hands of their captors. They have been crying out, and the writer, Isaiah, cries right back. Have you not known? Have you not heard? God sits above all things. God sits above the rulers of the earth, scarcely planted, scarcely sown in the eyes of God. Haven't you figured it out yet, folks? The exasperation leaks off the page. The people of God are crying out for God to fix this broken thing. They want a strong arm. They want decisive action. They want to shove their enemies' faces in it. And God could move like that. But in my observation, more often than not, God's actions are not so simple. They often go beyond our comfort and our understanding. I actually think that's where God likes to live most. Though the mind and the action of God can change and challenge us and surprise us, the character of God is strikingly constant. Like the oak that stands for generation, God goes through phases and changes, but the tree, the life, the promise, and the character, it still stands, no matter what season it is. And Isaiah's words cry out to the Israelites and the enslaved and the wandering and those who have been pregnant for way too long, the true character of God. A God who is a creator. A God of strength and infinite gentleness. A supporter in times of trouble. A lifter of the lowly. A God who brings all to the table. Because he is great in strength, mighty in power. And because of that, not a soul is missing. God calls us each by name even when it feels like God hasn't picked up the phone for us in quite a while. Isaiah reminds them and us of a theme that we see throughout the people of God and their story. And I bet if we take a close look at our own lives and our own history, uh, we'll see it repeated there too. It's that the nature of humans is pretty cyclical. We trust in God. We see God moving in mighty ways. And then, when things get too hard or, conversely, when things get too easy, we try to take over for ourselves. We believe that, God, we can take it from here. It's okay. We've got it. And in doing so, we lose sight of the things that are bigger than us at play. We lose sight of God in the midst of our own desire for action, or control. It reminds me of all the times in those intervening days between June's due date and her actual arrival that I googled, how do I start labor? Dear Lord Jesus, please. (laughs) I was so patient until I actually had to rely on something bigger than myself to get the work done. And I will tell you, that experience helps me to see that reality now everywhere and one strange way that I see it and you'll just have to follow me here folks is how people handle medication I know it's weird just stay with me we're prescribed something and we take it with low expectations I'll try it but I don't think it's going to work but then it does It works, it makes us better, it fixes the problem, it helps us move in the right direction, and then we get confident. Maybe cocky might even be the right word for it. And we stop taking it because we're better now. I don't need to keep taking that. It's fine, we figured it out, it's okay. I don't need it anymore, we're good. And then the pain comes back, or the problem, And we're back to where we started, believing that we don't need that help and it won't work because it only worked for a little while last time until we stopped taking it. We stopped being consistent. Our patience wore thin and we decided to take control again. In our faith, we stop listening and waiting for God to work. And then Isaiah calls out to us again, Have you not heard from the beginning? Have you not figured it out yet? There are bigger things than you in control today. And also consider this your daily recommendation to take your meds. Just a reminder, folks. But what Isaiah shows us in prophetic imagery, Jesus shows us in action. Jesus, after being with the people, healing and changing lives, goes away to a deserted place and prays. His disciples feel like they are left to hunt for him, and after Jesus is visible and active for a time, he always seems to take time to return to the background. He spends all day doing the work and then steps back. People feel like he has abandoned them But the truth is, he's right there. And moreover, he has left them with the thing that matters most, the message, the good news, that love and forgiveness are available to all, that infinite grace is available for all people and accessible when we need it. It looks on the surface like Christ has abandoned the people, but what he has left behind is what matters the most. The knowledge that we cannot escape a love that big. Though Christ was trapped in physical form and unable to be in multiple places at once, like our God, we see this truth in God's character too, that God will work visibly in our lives. And then allow the message to work within us for a time. Never abandoning us, but letting the message do the work. Letting it cook, if you will. Though we may be tempted to feel abandoned or left out in the cold, the truth that we see across the vast expanse of scripture, history, and probably our own lives is that we might give up on God, but God does not ever Give up on us, even when we are waiting. The waiting is full of God's presence and promise. With that gospel in hand, it's time for homework. And this week it comes in two parts both internal and external, because that's what it means to be the people of God. We are internally transformed so that the world around us may see and know that God is in this place, still at work, still filling the world with love, still cooking. Now that first piece, that internal piece, is to take a look at your own history or your own current perspective and understand where you might think God has abandoned you or the situations around you. Maybe you see God's abandonment in a relationship that has faltered and failed. Maybe you see it in the ways that you have failed yourself or others. Maybe we see it in what's going on in the world right now, that God could not possibly be working in Palestine or Ukraine or the border or wherever we're seeing conflict right now. I urge you to take some time this week to remind yourself and root yourself in the good news that God is still present and working even when it is not visible to us. God's still cooking even when the kitchen door is closed, even if it is beyond our understanding. The second piece That external piece of homework is to remember Simon's mother-in-law. You thought I'd forgotten about her. I never forget the moms. Not ever. Mm -mm. You see, Simon's mother-in-law is an example to us of what we do when we're waiting and what we do when we need to stop waiting. Jesus comes to her when she has a fever and heals her. And the first thing she does when she gets up is to get to work she begins serving the people around her but the word in Greek here that they use for serve isn't the word that they use for like serving food or cleaning up after someone it's not the word for servant it is the word that they use for deacons for disciples It shows us that the way we serve one another in any capacity is discipleship. It is people of God behavior in and of itself. When we are waiting for God to show up, it is our turn to wait on God in the form of waiting on others. That second piece of your homework is to serve. Consider what acts of service are needed in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community. And I know, I can almost hear it echoing off the walls. It is tempting to say in this time where we are hopeless or exhausted that I have nothing to give right now. There's nothing left for me to offer. I have given all I can. I am too old, too tired, and I have done enough. But my friends, Isaiah has a word for you. For God gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. If we are waiting for the Lord, the Lord shall renew our strength and we shall mount up on wings like eagles. Did you know they can lift four times their body weight? He did. She did. Good listeners. We can lift more than we think we can. We can do more than we ever believed. We can run and not be weary. We can walk and not faint because the Lord is with us whether we see it or not. Lord, I pray you keep our hearts and our minds and our doors open, Lord, because we are waiting for you. Your servants are ready, Lord. I pray that these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.